to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If you ever find yourself in a place where you're feeling vulnerable to the philosophies and the ideas and all of the swirling around today, get some answers. I have yet to hear a question from an atheist or anybody else that there hasn't been an answer for. And there's no shame in asking questions. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian wraps up his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, in a message titled, Stand Firm in Faith and Love. Now, here's Pastor Brian. I read these stories, I hear these testimonies, and you know, somebody's like, you know, I grew up in this home, my parents were so strict, you know, I couldn't watch Harry Potter, and, you know, we never got to have any fun, so I quit. I'm not a Christian anymore. It really has nothing to do with the actual faith, but this little seed of doubt comes in, so then they, they just feel like, well, I can question everything because of that. So that, that's what's really happening with some people. But with other people, it is a little more serious. With others, they are deconstructing because of abuse that they have seen within the church context, abusive church leadership and hypocrisy. And so maybe they were in a church or ministry and they really believed their pastor and they believed in the whole vision and program of what God was doing there. And then they find out that for 10 years, their pastor was actually sleeping with a secretary. And they're like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. And this kind of stuff is happening all over today. There's a lot of this going on. And so people, so this is an opportunity. They're, they're deconstructing. But the interesting thing is they're never deconstructing truly, really over Christian doctrine. It's over the failure of other Christians to live up to Christian doctrine. But because this is in the air, it's just like in some ways, it's, it's kind of like the air we breathe right now. It's almost every week you hear about a new person who says, I'm no longer a follower of Jesus. But Paul is saying, stand firm in the faith. So he's telling us to not do that. Don't do what we see people doing around us. How do we prevent from deconstructing? How do we prevent ourselves from falling into this kind of a thing where we would eventually depart from the faith? Number one, stay in your Bible. Stay in the word. You gotta stay in the word and you've gotta understand the word for what it says, not for what sometimes Christians say it says. Because a lot of times people are actually, they're not deconstructing what the scripture says, they're deconstructing the interpretation of their church group or denomination or whatever. That's what they're looking at. So stay in the word. Secondly, stay in fellowship. Don't disconnect from the community. 
Stay with the people of God. Talk to people. You know, a lot of people have gone through these kinds of things. I went through a season in my life that lasted for years where I was daily deconstructing everything. I remember reading Spurgeon one time, Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher. And somebody was asking him about the philosophy of the day. And, and you know, in Spurgeon's day, Spurgeon and, and uh, Darwin were around, relatively around the same time. So Darwinism was really you know, gaining a foothold in those days. And I remember reading where somebody asked Spurgeon if he was moved by these kinds of things, if that moved his faith at all. And he chuckled and he said, oh, the devil's shown me things that are way more, way more problematic than that. No, I'm not phased. And I had a season in my life where I, I questioned everything. But thank God that God's word was there, the people of God were there. And so listen, if you ever find yourself in a place where you're feeling vulnerable to the philosophies and the ideas and all of the, the, that's, that's swirling around today, get some answers. There are good answers. I have yet to hear a question from an atheist or anybody else that there hasn't been an answer for. Some answers are fantastic. It's like, oh, man, this is like a slam dunk. This is obvious. Others aren't quite as clear or simple as we would like them, but they are reasonable. And this is what I want you to know. There are good answers, and there's no shame in asking questions. There's no shame. If you come up to me after church and say, you know, Pastor Brian, I don't know. I'm just having a hardest time with, you know, something the Bible says about this, or, you know, maybe it's about creation, evolution, or maybe it's about sexuality, or maybe it's about, you know, something, something like that. You know what we're going to do? We're going to talk about it. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. There's no shame. God invites us to ask questions. Now, again, I've heard the stories of, of, of people who have deconstructed who said, I started to have doubts. I started to worry. I, I wasn't sure of this. And I went to some leadership person in my church, and they said, how horrible of you to think that. Or you're probably not even a Christian. That pushed them right out the door. We can have questions. God is the one who said, come, let us reason together. God likes reasoning, and guess what? He's really reasonable. I've reasoned with God many times. God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why. And you know, he's never said, Brian, don't ask those questions. He's always helped me work through these things. And that's what, that's what he wants to do. So stay in the word, stay committed to fellowship, get answers. There's no shame. There's plenty of answers out there. Third and fourth, be courageous, be strong. Be courageous. It has always taken courage to follow Jesus, always. If you really follow Jesus, it'll take courage. You can go to church, be part of the church crowd. That doesn't take courage. To follow Jesus, it's always taken courage. It still takes courage today. It will certainly take courage tomorrow. 
Christians have been persecuted from the very beginning. In many cases, they could have been relieved of their sufferings by simply renouncing their faith in Jesus, but they were brave, they were courageous, they didn't back down. And that's what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, be courageous. Cheryl and Jasmine, you know, Cheryl has this, my wife Cheryl, she has this great podcast called Women Worth Knowing. And I know it's a women's podcast, but I listen to it all the time because it has the greatest stories of faith. It's basically a history, it's a church history podcast, and it's about all these great women. But they're in a series of women martyrs going back to the very earliest centuries of the church and walking through. And it's just amazing. And it's so inspiring to see the courage of these women who, when called upon at the point of death to deny Jesus, they refused to do it. And they went to their deaths happily, courageously. Be courageous, be strong. Be strong. Persevere, don't grow weary. Be strong. You'd say, how, how, how do you be strong? How do you be strong in the face of this kind of opposition? How do you be strong in the in the face of people being angry with you and people wanting you to to back off on your faith. How do you be strong? You be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Know this, God will give you the strength. Ask him to strengthen you. If you feel weak, if you feel feeble, if you feel like your, your knees are about to buckle, God knows that. He wants to strengthen you. He will strengthen you. So the be strong is not so much be strong in your own strength, but be strong in the strength that God will provide. And then the final thing he says is this, do everything in love. Wow, do everything in love. So we live in an increasingly loveless world. And I don't think we have to look too far to see that, right? There's so much vitriol out in the culture today. There's so much hostility and animosity and people dividing up on sides. And love is lacking. But the biggest tragedy of the moment is not what's happening out in the culture because what can you expect from people who are dead in their sins and who are convinced that their view about everything is the only right view and they're gonna fight you to the death if you disagree with them, that's the way the world goes. The greater tragedy is that in the church, there is such a lack of love. There's such a lack of love today that today in the church, people are separating from friendships that go back decades. Sometimes it's Christians who are family members who are no longer talking to each other because of ideology. The divisions in the church today, very few of them are theologically oriented. They're ideological. They're political. They're about policies and things like that. And you disagree with me and I don't like you. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Don't come to my house. Don't call me. Don't text me. I mean, this kind of stuff is happening. And 
how do we overcome this? Is there any hope? Well, the only hope is that we walk in love. And remember this, Jesus said that the number one evidence that we're gonna be his disciples is this. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how the world knows what we're, that we're really following Jesus, that we love each other. And love gives room for diversity. And love gives room for varying opinions. We need to all just be able to respect one another's differences of opinion and not demonize or villainize a person because they don't see it exactly the way we do. Uh, We just need to say, hey, well, if that's your conviction, praise the Lord. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about the good things that God is doing. So here it is. Do everything in love. Loving each other starts right here. Loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor. That's the people around us. And this is how the world's going to know that we're following Jesus, that we love our neighbor. And in some cases, like we've pointed out, in some cases, loving your neighbor means I'm going to put some restrictions on myself for the benefit of that person. That's what loving your neighbor has looked like and probably will continue to look like. But then here is one step further, even loving our enemies. See, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, love your enemy. Love your enemy. So what does that look like? Well, I think for many, many Christians, I know this is a fact, and I'm not disagreeing with it or thinking that it's beyond comprehension, but many, many people look at the current administration people in the White House, people in government, they are the enemies of God, they're the enemies of the church, and so forth. And this all has to do, of course, with many of their policies, which are granted, many of their policies are very much against everything that God has said in his word. So as Christians look on, you see there, it's like, okay, those people are the enemy. What does the Bible say to do with your enemy? Love your enemy. Oh, wait, no, come on. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be angry at them. We're supposed to shout and scream. We're supposed to protest. We're supposed to tell everybody how evil they are. That's the narrative in much of the church today. That's not the narrative of the Bible. The Bible says love your enemy. How do you love your enemy? Well, one big way is you pray for them. Pray for them. I mean, what? I mean, let's just ask ourselves a simple question. What do you think is more effective? What, what do you think I should do as a pastor? Should I get up here Sunday after Sunday and rant and rave about the president, the vice president, the governor, whatever? You extend the list out. Should I do that? Is that going to have an impact? Or should I say, hey, let's pray for those people? Those people need Jesus, right? The problem is they don't know Christ. 
and they need Christ. So just simple, logical wisdom tells us that we should be praying for them. And, but not just praying for them, but not speaking evil of them. Did you know that Paul says to Titus when he's talking about governmental authorities, and I want you to remember, I've said this before, but let me remind you that the, that the emperor of Rome at the time was none other than Caesar Nero, one of the most wicked rulers in all of history. This is the backdrop for Paul saying things like, submit to them, pray for them. It's like, so... Paul says this to Titus. He says, speak evil of no one. And the context is political leaders. Speak evil of no one. And then he says this, for we ourselves were also at one time deceived. We were deceiving others. Basically, Paul says, we used to be where they are. And so don't speak evil of them. Pray for them that they might come to where we are now, that they might come to faith in Jesus. So when he says, do everything in love, this is the kind of stuff that I think obviously had its application in Corinth, but it has its application for us today. Love one another. Love your neighbor love your enemy. And now finally, we come to the last words here. And man, verse 22 is really heavy because Paul says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Now, Paul is the champion of the grace of God, the gospel of God's grace, but Paul never loses sight of the fact that apart from Christ, people will perish. And those who reject Christ will perish. Those who oppose Christ will perish. And so he makes this very blunt statement. Those who do not love the Lord Jesus, let them be accursed. That is the destination for those who continue to rebel against God. But then he says this. He says, come, Lord. This word is Aramaic, and it's the word Maranatha. How many have heard the word Maranatha? Well, right over there is Maranatha Christian Academy. That's the name of our, of our grammar school. Years ago, this ministry birthed another ministry called Maranatha Music. So why are we using this Maranatha word? Well, Maranatha in English is come, Lord. Come, Lord. And Paul ends this letter reminding the saints that the hope and great longing of the church is and always will be the coming again of the Lord. That's what we long for. Now, I believe this. I believe as long as we're in the world, we should try to make it a better place. We should try to do all we can to see the kingdom expanded as far as we can in this world. That's our job as the people of God in the world. But we also know that the world will never, ever fix itself. 
and human beings will never, ever fix the world. The only solution is the coming again of the Lord Jesus. The coming again of Jesus. And Jesus is going to come again. We don't know when he's going to come again, but we do know that he promised to come again. He's going to come again. I think that we can look around the world and say, well, it looks like you know things could be moving close to that. I think those people who say, uh, the Christians say, oh, that means nothing. We're, you know, life's going to go on for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, you know, Jesus did rebuke the people of his own generation for not recognizing the signs of the times. So I think we need to be wise and recognize the signs of the times, but we don't want to be foolish and overstate things and make predictions and all of that stuff that ends up just proving not to be true. So, but we want to hold just like Paul did, just like he reminded the Corinthians to do, we want to hold fast to the wonderful promise of Maranatha, come Lord. And I wanna finish it with this word. This is, Paul said this again, speaking to Titus, writing to Titus, he said, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we are doing. We are waiting for the blessed hope. We're waiting for the Lord to return. And man, like Paul, come Lord, come Lord, and heal this sin-sick world. And the wonderful news is that he absolutely promised that he will do it. We believe that he will do it. And the final word, the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. I think it's interesting that Paul closes it with my love to all of you. Because, you know, they might have at a certain point thought, I don't think Paul really likes us. (laughs) Sounds like he's really mad at us. But he wasn't. He loved them. And, you know, when you love people, sometimes you have to say things that are hard. But the intention is to fix what's wrong so that the goodness and blessing can go on. So, so that's, that's Paul's heart. My love to you and all in Christ. And so hopefully this has been an encouraging journey for you in everyday discipleship. I've had many people tell me that it's been a very special season of God working and speaking into their lives. So trust that that's been the case with you as well. Let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So, Brian, we're offering a book from our good friend, Charlie Campbell. Yes, Charlie Campbell is the director of Always Be Ready, which is an apologetics ministry. One we recommend a lot. Yeah, we recommend it a lot. And this is a one-minute answer to skeptics. Now, Charlie has done this book, and this is like a revised version 
answering 50 of the top objections and questions, kind of current things. You know, things change over time. There are different arguments and things. And what I like about this book is it's it's an updated current addressing a lot of the things that people are kind of throwing out there today as their objections to Christianity. And some of the topics that Charlie covers in this is why doesn't God just appear to us in a public setting and prove he exists? Or the New Testament authors, did they steal details of Jesus' life story from other ancient religions? This is what some skeptics say. Or that the God of the Old Testament commanded the Israelites to commit genocide. Or that the Bible condoned slavery. So these are real issues in our society today. And Charlie tells you a biblical answer for these things. And it's So great little one-minute answer to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. That's our offer for this month. Again, this month's resource is a book titled One-Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. You can order the book One-Minute Answers to Skeptics by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell to help equip you to defend the faith. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we begin a new series in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.